open up to the book of James. We're going to be in the second chapter today. And I want to begin by reading the first 13 verses, and then we'll get into the message. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved children, brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. To one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. In our text this morning, James uses the word partiality. And he begins by giving a very strong warning about not showing partiality to people, otherwise known as, we might call it favoritism in our, in our day. But James says that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot have faith in Jesus and show favoritism or partiality. Matter of fact, the word partiality that, that's used here comes from a root word, a prosopon in Greek, that means face. And so favoritism is judging others based upon their appearance, that is, at face value. It reflects the idea found in an old Hebrew idiom, which basically said to lift up the face. And so you lift up the face and determine who they are, whether or not you like them. It shows favoritism to someone, and our text is bold in condemning the injustices in our world and preferring the rich over the poor or the powerful over the helpless. And the ending of chapter 1, James really identifies that if we're going to be faithful to God and Jesus, then one of the things we need to do is we need to look after those who are less fortunate, such as the orphan and the widow. And here he says that you cannot genuinely care for the poor people at the same time while being partial to somebody else like the rich. So partiality is this. Partiality is, is judging people based upon appearance instead of character or heart. Showing partiality really is contrary to the character and the heart of God, and we should have nothing about it. 
Listen to what he tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. He says, For the Lord your God is God and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So he's beginning to let us know that if we're going to have faith in Jesus Christ, we should follow the example that was set by Jesus, which begins to bring good news to all men, not just a particular group or a certain segment of society. And being a Christian means that we are to be imitating Christ in the way that we live and how we treat others as well, being genuinely impartial and generous to all. Peter tells us in, in the book of Acts chapter 10, he's just had this experience where he, he's seen a vision and, and God tells him in this vision that all things that he has made clean are clean and he's not supposed to say it's not any longer. In essence, he was telling him then to leave where he was in Joppa and go over to the Mediterranean Sea at Caesarea and find a Gentile, you know, those people who weren't Jews, who did not have the blessing and the grace and the mercy and the love of God, and to allow them to become Christian as well. And so he speaks to us there in chapter, chapter 10, that he, show, he says that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts those who fear him from every nation. And Paul agrees that salvation is not only for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile. It's for the male and the female, the slave and the, and the master. It's for all. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul says that God shows no partiality. And Paul also insists that even masters are supposed to treat their slaves well because they have a master in heaven who does not show partiality. So listen to what he says in Ephesians 6, 9. He says, masters, you do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him but he also tells the slave you have got to be kind as well to your master and, and, and you understand that if you're not and if you're being partial to him the Lord is going to punish you as well so he writes to us in Colossians chapter 3 verse 25 when he says for the wrongdoer quote the slave in this context will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Even when the enemies of Jesus sought to trap him on things, they had to recognize and even speak the fact that he himself is impartial, that he is a no respecter of the face of people. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 14. These people, these teachers of the law, it says, And they came and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. You are not swayed by appearances. Literally, the Greek translation should say, you do not look at people's faces, but you truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And should we pay them or should we not? So what he's saying is that if we're going to be like Christ, we've got to be impartial in the way that we treat people. It doesn't matter where they come from, what they look like, any of that matters. What matters is that they are made in the image of God, that he loves them and he wants them. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are consistent in their presentation that God and Jesus do not play favorites. They don't prefer rich people over poor 
They don't prefer the master over the slave or, or Jew over Gentile. They judge fairly by looking at the heart of each one of us. And those who choose to follow Jesus Christ, we must do the same. So let's dig into our chapter here of James and we'll discover some of the important things of putting spiritual truth into practice. And in each of the following chapters here after chapter 2, James is going to discuss an application of how all this applies to our lives to bring the word of truth into specific areas and aspects of how we live. But here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, he shows how partiality, discrimination violates the standards of God's truth. To belittle or to discriminate against another is partiality, and that is sin, and James identifies it as sin. And in specifically in verse 4, he says, it is evil thoughts. So we can't be there. I think there are a lot of different types of favoritism that take place in our world. Uh, let me list just a few of them. First one would be this, nepotism. Now, it depends on what side of this nepotism you are. If you're the son or the, or, the, or the daughter or the brother or somebody who's related to you, it'd be great because you know you got a job. So in business, nepotism is this. It is hiring a family member regardless of their qualifications. And you will overlook other people because you know, you got to hire your nephew, right? There's another one, cronyism. Again, in business, cronyism is hiring friends regardless of of their qualifications. So if you're in good with the boss, you know, you know you got a job. Another one is genderism. Believing that one gender is better than the other. So we've lived in a long patriarchal society for years where men have always ruled. And in some societies, it's the women who have ruled. But when we begin to say that one is greater than the other, then we've got a problem. Another one is ageism. Ageism is treating someone different because of their age, usually because they're too young or they're too old. And we have rules and laws in America that say you can't do that. The last one that I want to look at is this. It's called racism. It's treating one race different than others. Usually it's preferring one's own race to the other's. I mean, there's a lot going on in the United States right now concerning racism and discrimination. Prejudice abounds to the extent that communities are living in fear because there are protests that are going on and violent riots are destroying their lives and their property as a result of this. I don't think a day goes by when I don't hear or see something that relates to racism and prejudice in our nation. I pray that, that you and I will just stop and we'll pause for a moment and we'll allow the words of James here to help frame what we as followers of Jesus Christ should believe, think, act, and do about racism. I mean, racism is a sin and it roots itself into the very hearts of well-intentioned people. And it initially comes from our favoritism, where we find that we like somebody over somebody else because we've got a commonality. James tells us here <clears throat> that favoritism <clears throat> or partiality has no place in the church, and therefore it has no place in the hearts of Christians. And yet our world is rampant with it. 
So I want to learn a few things here. First off, I want us to understand that racism is judgment based on appearance. Racism is, is this idea that judgment is based on one's person, that he or she is better than someone else because they belong to another race, another nationality, they speak a different language, maybe it's a different heritage that they've grown up under. But what does the Bible say about all that? James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, let's read that again. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The Apostle Paul, he agrees with James, and he makes this statement in Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples that are made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Now listen. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us so within these passages here in this one in particular we we find that 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 God through one individual through one man we can go back and discover who that was it was adam from adam from one man he created all the nations of the earth he, he created them out and he spread them across uh, throughout history on uh, and in geographical differences as well but god has made us all and he has determined where we're going to live when we're going to live who we're going to live with what color of skin we're going to have what color of eyes we shall adore as well you see, you and I and who we are when we enter into this world is because it is God's desire that we might live in this moment so that perhaps we might be able to discover Him. He did that on purpose. We're told here that He is near to each one of us. And He wants us to maybe feel our way toward Him until we find Him and we discover who He is, and then we can embrace Him and we can love Him. He, 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 he is so near to each one of us because He created us, and He desires that every person, no matter their skin color, no matter their nationality, no matter their language, no matter anything about them, He desires everybody to come to know His Son and find salvation and grace and mercy and peace and rest in Him. Notice what Paul said there. He said, all mankind and every nation so i need to understand this if we all come to one man from one man adam then we're all brothers of his flesh there is no separate race there's just different shades of color color essence a blog uh, was on the internet I, I i searched this out and they they tell us that the tone of your skin 
is the genetically endowed amount of melanin in your epidermis, which is the outer layer of skin. Melanin is a complex polymer produced by cells called melanocytes and refers to a group of naturally occurring dark brown or black pigments present in human skin and animals too. So we all have melanin in us. It just depends on how much I have compared to how much you have that makes the difference in the color of our skin. But it's still the same color. It's just you may have more or you may have less than me when it comes to this color. James tells us here in James chapter 2, verse 1, that brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So we need to stop making unrighteous decisions about people before we even really know who they are. James 2, 5 through 7 says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who were poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you, listen to this, but you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich. The ones who oppress you are not the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which we are called? Jesus makes this statement, and John records it for us in the 7th chapter, verse 24. He says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. And Paul says that God shows no partiality. He's not a respecter of individuals based upon who they are, or what they have, or what they possess. And so all these passages from Scripture, and there are a lot more that we can bring up as well, they illustrate for us the perspective that our judgments and our divisions and our favor of one race over and above another one is wrong. It's not godly. It's not righteous. Matter of fact, it is unrighteous. And it's the type of behavior that God wants us to put away and not do. This racial judgment that we might have needs to be rooted out, and we must confess it as our own favoritism. Because it's sin. The second thing we discover about racism, about this partiality, is that racism is hatred based on difference. Because they didn't grow up around us, that we don't like them, we don't know them, we are unfamiliar with them. So racism really is rooted in hatred for another person because they aren't like us. They don't look like me, they don't talk like me, they don't walk like me, they don't wear the same clothes that I wear. And so there's something different about them and we begin to put them aside and hatred is built upon that. But what does the Bible say about hatred? Let's look at some passages. I mean, it's extremely important for us to try to understand racism and its place in our country and even into the very core of who we are. So let's go back to Leviticus chapter 19. And we'll discover in verses 15 through 17, God says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Jesus was asked 
uh, one time about all this and about uh, this difference. And so we find this story in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36. The fellows came up and they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then he goes on and he says, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments are summed up in his word. All right? So we look at all these two. Some depend on the law and the prophets. So the Apostle Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 13 because he takes that as well, what Jesus had said. He says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and all the other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We need to love one another. It doesn't matter where they come from. We go into the world around us and we share and express the love of God through our lives and through our actions and through our words and how we treat different people. It doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor, good-looking or ugly, bald or hairy. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, that if anyone says, listen, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not hate, who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. So all these passages here clearly help us to define what, what God's perspective is on partiality and racism and hating hatred is an emotion but it's also a choice and an action and it's a choice that is totally opposite of what God's will is for us he doesn't want us to hate and he didn't design us to hate but to love and so racism is hatred but it's based on the differences that we see because somebody looks different or acts different or sounds different than us we tend to put them aside. So, first off, I think we need to recognize this type of racial hatred in ourselves and get rid of it. Boy, it's so easy to point it out in other people, isn't it? But we need to look at ourselves and see where we find it in us. And then we must confess that hatred that we have is sin. So James goes on here in the second chapter, beginning in verse 8, and he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. You see, it doesn't matter. We can say all these wonderful things, but if we're harboring in us hatred and bitterness and racism and partiality and favoritism to somebody else, it is sin. And because we're guilty of that one thing, we're guilty of all things. And our penalty is just. 
and its death and its separation from God. We must not lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves in thinking that we're all right with it. Because as 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, John says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We've got to look internally and see who we truly are and how we treat people around us. The final thing is this, racism will hold no place in this church. Because this church is not our church, it's His. So what does racism have to do with First Christian Church? Well, First Christian is an extension of the kingdom of God, and so we're a part of His kingdom, and therefore it can't be in here. We have people of different economic backgrounds, educational levels, political persuasions, mental competence, and some with racial differences. We are, however, primarily a congregation of Caucasian white people. We are white with very few other people who are here that might be from a different nationality or color. But as our community changes, we've got to change. I mean, I like M&Ms in all the colors. Right? So we cannot, because we're part of the kingdom of God, and we should not, put our head in the sand and ignore the issues of racism in our nation and how we're dealing with them. As a church, we have got to begin to take a stand that they know that everyone is welcome and that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, it would be foolish if we would do a goddess disservice if we would ignore it. We can't ignore it any matter. Do black lives matter? Yes. Do white lives matter? Yes. Do yellow lives matter? Yes. Do red lives matter? Yes. Yes, they all matter because they're all precious in God's sight. First Christian is a place for all people, no matter what race, economic status, or gender. We are the church of God. That's who we are. And he has invited the world to be a part of that. So James tells us in verse 12 and 13 there in the second chapter, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here's a few things. As a church, one, we believe and we speak its truth. We believe the Bible and we speak its truth. I mean, the Bible is very clear about favoritism, about partiality, about hatred, and about racism. And we must believe and we must speak that the Bible shares with us about that with the world around us. We can't just hold it inside. We've got to stand out and communicate in the way that we deal with people. It doesn't matter if there's somebody different than us that moves in next door. We love them. And this continues through us by speaking, by Facebook posting, by blogging, by whatever we do, tweeting, how we communicate. Our words have got to communicate that we are a part of the kingdom of Christ and His kingdom is colorblind. And it continues through us in everything we do. We should not be afraid to stand up and speak out about righteousness and godliness. The second thing we should do is we pray that God helps us overcome this 
this lie that everybody's different. I think there's a lot to pray about this issue. While your house or your business may not be burned down because of this, it's not too far away, is it? We may think that we live in a holy huddle away from all that mess. But believe me, it's creeping in because we let the door open. We must pray that racial attitudes and beliefs are not a part of our hearts. We must pray that racial attitudes and beliefs are not a part of this church. And we must pray that others who deal with racial beliefs would wake up and understand the truth of God's word, that he loves all men. We must pray that the Bible and Christianity is not twisted to help support sin because there have been many through the years who have twisted it and focused it on that it is racism as well, and it is not. We must pray about wisdom and how we deal with this. We must pray about healing because maybe we have hurt somebody in the past. And we must pray for our nation and our neighbors and those who are foreigners living within our community. And finally, I think we need to express love to all. I mean, we need to learn to love well, don't we? I mean, we can't be like Archie Bunker years ago on that famous TV show. You know, he, he wouldn't tell his wife that he loved her. He said, well, I told you when I married you, I haven't changed. You know, so yeah, you, you told me once, but, but we like to hear it and we like to see it. It starts with loving the people sitting next to you in this room. Then you must love the people in your neighborhood, at work, at school. Love the people that you interact with on a daily basis. It doesn't matter where they are, at the gas station, at the street corner as you're sitting at the stoplight and you look across and you see them. We must love no matter what color they are, if they're red, yellow, black, or white, because they're each precious in God's sight. We need to love like Jesus loved because we're living in a world that's aching for His love and we need to love like we have the answer to all the hurts of racism, partiality, favoritism. So perhaps you're here today and you don't consider the racial feelings that you've had are sinful. Maybe you were raised that way and you've really never expressed it. You know, it's not been a big issue for you or whatever. And maybe that's the way that your parents were and your grandparents were, and that's just how you've been raised. Maybe you've never been around anybody of a different race or of a different nationality who speaks a different language, and you don't know how to react around them. But we need to understand, in our human nature, we tend to be drawn to people who are like us. That's just natural. And then we neglect the ones who don't look like us. The problem with this is that we forget that all people are made in God's image and we often begin using them for our own purposes and we lose sight of God's upside down kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. That the poor are going to be the ones who are rich in faith and that it tends to backfire on us and so we dishonor the poor. And when the rich, we tend to be oppressed us, we tend to honor them because they've got something we need. People want us to know that we care. They want us to know that we're fair. They want us to know that we're going to be there. And what I mean by this is we need to not only talk the talk, but we need to walk the walk. We can't just say that we believe. We've got to demonstrate it. 
James refers to it as a royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells us it's the second greatest commandment. The first being love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And like the teachers of the law back there who were questioning him, we also try to justify ourselves, don't we? Jesus told them a story. It's about a, a man who was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and as he was traveling along that, that path, all of a sudden he got waylaid by a bunch of, of robbers. They beat him up, they stripped him of his clothes and took his money and left him there half dead. And as Jesus is telling this story about all this, and the guys are listening closely, he then says, you know, but then there was a priest who was coming by, and you can almost see it in their faces. Oh, great, finally a good part of the story. The priest is coming in, and he's going to save the day. And instead, Jesus says that he walks by the other side. And they're kind of confused by that, but the story continues. And along comes a Levite, and, and the crowd is probably thinking again, oh, great, a Levite, he's a good man. Surely he will do something, and the story will have a happy ending and he walks by. And then Jesus says that there was a Samaritan, and they stopped there. Oh, no, you didn't, Jesus. <laughs> you didn't mention Samaritan, did you? Those half-breeds? Those, those, those low-lifes? Those people who, who intermarried? Those people who aren't pure any longer? You didn't mention They're not coming into the story. What are you doing mentioning these people? And they had a hatred towards the Samaritans. They were bigoted. They were prejudiced. They were discriminating. They were racist. And Jesus cuts to the very heart of it. He says, this Samaritan, he actually stopped and helped that Jew. He tended to his wounds. He, he put him on his own donkey, then he walked the rest of the way in, and then he provided the finances to give him care and to put him up in a hotel, and that if anything was going to be needed of him, when he comes back, he'll pay for the rest of it. And they don't want to listen to this story any longer. And Jesus says, now you tell me, who was that man's neighbor? And the racism and the hatred was so strong in those teachers of the law that they couldn't even utter the word Samaritan. And they simply said, the one who gave him help. To show that we walk the walk of Christ and we use his talk, we need to overcome the mess that this world is in because we've joined in it for too long. James points out that all sin is the same in the sense that the eternal consequences are separation from God. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got problems with understanding things today. Some people commit abortions. Some others engage in homosexual behavior. Some shout racial slurs, and the list goes on and on. The wages that they earn is death. And we're told that when we repent of those sins, our sins are forgiven. Matter of fact, there were people in the church that James was speaking to who were just like that. But I like what James has to say in verse 12. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The grace of God. Our talk and our walk must line up with His. Does the world see a judgmental Christian? Or do they see a fellow sinner coming alongside them who can help them out? I know that what we've talked about today is a little touchy subject. 
But the Word of God deals with touchy subjects. And it wants us to change the way we live. The Christian faith is to be inclusive. It accepts anyone who recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. No matter their background, no matter their, their sin, no matter their color of their skin, no matter the language that they speak, He accepts everyone, whether they're poor or rich, male or female, slave or free. But the Christian faith is also exclusive. And it's exclusive in this. There is only one, one way to heaven, and it's through Him, Jesus Christ. And He excludes all others. And it's through His name we find salvation. John, in his first letter, the fourth chapter, he makes this statement. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I pray that we have the ability to put aside all the hatred that our world tends to help us grow in our hearts and we begin to love one another with the same love that Jesus loves and that racism partiality favoritism whatever it doesn't matter it's insignificant because we are all people whom he has created in his image and we need to love one another. We're going to have an invitation. I don't know where you are in your faith. If you're just beginning or if you've been at this for 70 years. But if you've allowed any form of hatred for anybody else to grow in you. And today's a good day to confess it. To lay it at his feet, to turn it over and never pick it up again. To start a new chapter in your life. And open your arms to a world that needs love and not hate. Let's stand together.